Hello everybody and welcome to Don't Burst My Bubble with me, your host, Josh Ascroft. Don't Burst My Bubble is your number one podcast for daily news, updates, commentary, and so much more from inside the NBA's bubble in Orlando. In today's episode, we're going to be breaking down Russell Westbrook rejoining the Rockets in Orlando. We're going to be talking about the Atlanta Hawks' new jerseys and the Jordan Brand collaboration with the NBA. And we're talking about NBA awards and when they're going to be coming out this year. We'll be discussing Bleacher Report's absolutely ridiculous list of starting fives in the Orlando bubble. They are, I, I do not know what's going on with Bleacher Report. And finally, we're going to be talking about Daniel Gafford's thoughts on Jim Boylan and the NBA draft lottery. So without further ado, let's get into it. This is Don't Burst My Bubble. So let's get into this episode today. Starting off, Russell Westbrook has rejoined the Rockets in Orlando just one week after announcing that he tested positive for the coronavirus. Uh, that news coming uh, courtesy of Tim McMahon from ESPN. Uh, according to the Rockets head coach, Mike D'Antoni, Westbrook is likely to miss the team's scrimmage uh, they have coming up against the Raptors this Friday, uh, but he will participate in at least one of the team's following two scrimmages that they'll have coming up before the seeding games begin. Uh, according to D'Antoni, it seems like he's in great shape. Apparently, he's ready to hit the floor right now. I imagine that he's just going through the mandatory uh, quarantine that players have to go through when they enter the bubble. Um, they'll probably want to run some tests on him, that kind of thing. And then Russell Westbrook joining the Rock. That's fantastic for them. I mean, uh, I certainly, even yesterday, in yesterday's episode, was concerned about uh, whether Rus- uh, Russell Westbrook was going to be able to play at the capacity that he has been playing at when the or had been playing at when the season ended, he was doing absolutely incredibly after having such a bad start to the season. He was shooting awfully, but then by the end of well, when the season came to its break, um, he was shooting a career best forty seven point four percent from the field, averaging twenty seven point five points, eight rebounds, and seven assists. I mean, you'd probably, you know, you're used to the assist numbers being a little bit higher for Westbrook, but on a team with Harden now, who is, you know, always underrated in terms of his passing ability, always going to get his assist numbers too. So makes sense on that. But if he can come into the bubble and play at the level that he was playing when when the season was shut down, that's going to be just tremendous for them. He was fantastic. Hopefully the uh, the coronavirus won't have left any residual effect on its heart or lungs, which it has been reported to be doing to so many people. Um, so hopefully everything's going to be okay with him. Seems seems like he's doing pretty well. Can't believe how quickly it's come about. I, I think that he must have, well, I guess he must have been toward the end of uh, his little stint with the coronavirus. I imagine maybe he he wasn't even aware that he had it when he was tested for it. Um, but that's great to see that he's recovering. Great to see that he's in Orlando, and we're pretty much have every every star player in the bubble now. I would say I believe that Markeith Morris is going to be coming into the bubble in the next few days as well, joining his team. So I think that uh, we just about have everyone. So that's pretty great. Next piece of news we have for today is that the Atlanta Hawks unveiled some fire jerseys oh my word i these have got to be some of the best jerseys that have come out in the last few years they unveiled three there's a red 
a white and a black model of the jersey. Uh, the black jersey will feature the Jordan brand logo. And here's the thing, these jerseys leaked the other day, and I thought that I thought they were made up because I saw the Jordan logo on it and I thought, well, that's super weird. Why would Atlanta have the Jordan logo on it? No other team other than Charlotte uses the Jordan logo right now. This is probably some kind of knockoff that's come from DHgate or, or somewhere online. This isn't real. But then it was announced today when the Hawks actually revealed these jerseys officially with just the black one featuring the Jordan logo it was announced by the NBA that Jordan Brand would be collaborating with the NBA, specifically on the statement jerseys. So for the 2020-2021 season, all statement jerseys of all 30 teams in the NBA will feature the Jordan Brand logo. This is definitely, well, for a lot of people, they're really pleased about it because the Jordan logo is obviously pretty cool. But some people, such as Detroit Pistons fans, aren't thrilled about it. I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably know a decent amount about the, the NBA and its history, but if you don't know, didn't watch The Last Dance, um, you had Jordan and the Detroit Pistons had quite a little rivalry going uh, through the 90s, through late 80s. Um, yeah, so definitely an interesting one for them. It's their worst jersey, too. The Pistons, it's this awful gray jersey that they have. Maybe, I mean, that's fortunate for them, I guess, that their statement jersey isn't even that much of a statement, but I don't think there's going to be many Pistons fans who are buying Jordan-branded Detroit Pistons jerseys. I just, I don't see it happening. But uh, the Jordan brand, it's been featured on the All-Star jersey since 2017. That's also when they started appearing on Charlotte's jerseys. And for the most part, I, I think they look great. Chicago came out and showed off their statement jersey with the with the Jordan brand. It's sort of their black pinstripe jersey, kind of a throwback to when Jordan was playing with them. Um, and it looks great. It looks right, honestly. So that's great. I think that this was to be expected, given that Nike picked up the contract with the NBA a couple of years ago now. Makes sense for them to want to expand, bring the Jordan brand more into it. And I think that, I mean, obviously the whole world has been hot on Michael Jordan since he was playing in the NBA, but I think that with the relevance of The Last Dance, uh, so little basketball on TV, so many people watching that documentary, I think that Jordan's stock must be at a pretty all-time high for the last couple of years, so I think that this makes perfect sense for them to sort of beef up this collaboration, um, you know, add a little bit more to it, a little bit more spice to the NBA jerseys. This is more reason for people to buy another NBA jersey, and I think we all know that those aren't cheap. So I think they look great, at least on the Atlanta Hawks ones. Uh, they look great on the Chicago one so far. For those that don't know, I'm a Dallas Mavericks fan, and I just hope to God the Mavs come out with better jerseys next year than the jerseys they had this year. The statement jerseys the Mavs have this year are essentially just practice jerseys. They're pretty boring. They're just a dark navy blue and the same Mavericks on them. And then don't even get me started on the Mavs City graffiti jerseys, which are probably the worst jerseys that have ever been in the NBA. They're definitely up there. The Mavs have had a good number of them, actually. Um, they're trash bag jerseys that they had, sort of brown and shiny, which were just a terrible decision. So who knows, maybe maybe teams are going to be able to use this as an opportunity to rebrand in the way that the Hawks have. Um, hats off to the Hawks design marketing team. They did an incredible job. Uh, they're using sort of their, 
um, classic red and sort of a goldish yellow color throughout, which really pop the the font they used is fantastic. A lot of people have been comparing it actually to the Pulp Fiction font, um, and I think it looks great. So hats off to them. Who knows? Maybe I'll pick up a Trey Young jersey one day. Not today though. Not today. So, NBA awards are going to be announced during the playoffs this year. The NBA announced today on Tuesday, July 22nd, that they're going back to basics. The awards were, you know, traditionally given to players before a playoff game, somewhere around the second round a lot of the time. Um, And then they, you know, they changed it to after the postseason so that they could have a big award ceremony and so that they could televise that and make more money off of uh, the TV rights. Um, But it's going to, I think it's going to be really cool in Orlando, especially if they're, you know, they're doing it at a time in the playoffs when everyone who's relevant to those awards is still in the conversation. Maybe not everyone. Maybe the most improved player is out by then. But for the MVP in particular, I think that always just adds a little bit more spice to the playoffs. If you've got, you know, we're in the second round, we have this little ceremony before a game, Giannis is handed his MVP because he rightfully deserves it. You know that's going to start some beef. You know LeBron's going to be mad about that. And that's going to be great for the NBA. That's exactly what they want people talking about because that's probably the finals matchup they're anticipating happening or at least would like to see. Um, and I think that maybe it just adds a little bit more disrespect to some of the other players. Maybe they're going to be just angrier and maybe they're going to, you know, the James Hardens of the world who was just talking today to Allen Iverson about how disrespected he feels, um, rightfully so in, in a lot of in a lot of cases. Um Maybe that's going to inspire players to just want to come out swinging. So I think that's going to be pretty exciting to watch, honestly. Um, There's actually been a huge media push over the last few days. I sort of spoke on it yesterday about Frank Vogel's comments on uh, why he thinks that LeBron wins the MVP. And, I mean, we all know that the, the Lakers are beloved by NBA media and they're covered more than any other team. And, you know, rightfully so. They're in Los Angeles. They have two of the top five players in the NBA. But, wow, the media discourse of wanting to push this whole LeBron deserves the deserves the MVP thing is kind of out of control. It's been all over my Twitter. It seems that every single opportunity a media member gets to ask uh, a member of the Lakers, why they think LeBron deserves the MVP. It's making, you know, front, it's all over Twitter, it's all over Instagram. Danny Green today coming out talking about, he was asked, what's the, the number one reason why LeBron deserves the MVP? And he essentially said, well, there are so many, but I just can't, I can't get behind it. I understand people want LeBron to win his fifth MVP. They want him to be tied with MJ. They want him to be able to win this title now. Who knows? Maybe he could get another one in the next couple of years, tie that up to rightfully claim his place as the GOAT as he's been dying to do. But I just don't see it happen. He doesn't deserve the regular season MVP. He doesn't. The way that the MVP is judged as of right now should be who was the best player on a team for the regular season. And you can argue definitely that LeBron is more valuable and that you'd want LeBron more on your team. And I even said that yesterday in the playoffs. I absolutely want LeBron on my team more than Giannis, even though Giannis is incredible. But Giannis deserves the MVP, so please, I'm begging you to the mainstream media, please stop pushing this LeBron deserves the MVP down my throat. I don't want to hear it. It's just not true. 
And I think that it's partially because LeBron is probably upset that he didn't get to have these eight seeding games where he could make his case because when we were coming to the close of the season, there was definitely a big push for, oh, wow, LeBron really deserves this MVP in the last few games. But Giannis deserves it. That's kind of the end of the discussion in my mind. I don't think that there's really anything else to be said. So what else has been happening in the NBA? So let's talk about some teams for a second, who aren't in the bubble, just because I thought this was so funny. So Daniel Gafford, who's a who's a player for the Bulls, sort of just a rotation guy, uh, he was streaming on Twitch and he got asked a question about what he thought was Jim, Bo- uh, what he thought of Jim Boylan, the current coach of the Chicago Bulls. And this is what he had to say, and I quote: "I'm going to answer this question, but I'm not going to read it out. You know, as a matter of fact, I will read it out. Do you like Jim Boylan?" He's alright. I don't like him a lot, but he's okay. He's got some things he can work on, got some things he can get better at as a person and as a coach. I'm not going to hate on him. I'm not going to hate the man, end quote. I don't know about you, but if I was running an organization or any part of an organization, or even if I was Jim Boylan, I wouldn't be particularly thrilled to hear that one of my players is essentially saying that I'm fine as a person, well, fine, he's all right, is literally what Daniel Gafford says, and that he doesn't like him a lot, but he's okay, and he has things to work on, not only as a coach, but as a player. That's so funny, I've never before heard, well, you know, it happens, players get into beef with their coaches, but it's pretty extraordinary to hear a player essentially just be like, well, It's not just the fact that I don't like him as a coach. I also think that as a person, he has a lot to work on. And obviously, Jim Boylan has had serious issues with the Chicago Bulls team. Uh, He's gone 39-84 in his time with the Bulls since he took over in 2018, midway through that season. Zach Levine pretty, pretty openly despises the guy. We see them fight on the side of the court all of the time. He's not happy when he gets taken out of games by Jim Boylan. Jim Boylan doesn't have a good system in place, doesn't really seem to fit with his players, his players don't like him. And you can definitely take away from that that his time in Chicago is almost definitely numbered. Now that Gar Pax is finally out of the equation, that's not an issue for Chicago anymore, you can only imagine that the next logical step is, well, we need a new head coach. And I think it's really interesting because I think a lot of people right now are talking about potential head coaches for the Knicks, for the Nets, but no one's really talking about it for the Bulls, and the Bulls... You know, they don't have a bad little core in place. I would argue that they, you know, have as equally a promising, you know, uh, youth core as the New York Knicks do. The Knicks, you know, R.J. Barrett, you have uh, Mitchell Robinson, uh, you know, a couple of other guys, Dennis Smith Smith Jr. Um, But the Bulls, you know, you've got Kobe White, Zach Levine, Laurie Markkinen. You know, it's a nice little setup. It's not It's not the worst. And, you know, Daniel Gafford will throw his name in. He's the one talking about Jim Boylan. It's, it's definitely not a bad place to be. And I don't even know if you could say that they're underperforming as a team. Maybe you can argue that Jim Boylan doesn't have the exact personnel that he wanted around him. You know, doesn't didn't have the support from GMs to maybe necessarily go after trades he wanted to go for. But the Bulls, they're in an interesting place. They've got an all-star caliber player in Zach Levine, certainly on the offensive end. He's he's pretty fantastic. He's certainly expanded his range. He's an excellent three-point shooter. 
had a couple of great games this year. Kobe White seems to be a really promising rookie. He's probably going to make an all-rookie team. Laurie Markkinen, who kind of underperformed this season, not not what people were expecting from him in the time that he did play. Um, so they're in an interesting place. I mean, Chicago, you're in such an incredible city for the NBA, one with so much history and one that's really struggled since the Jordan era ended. And I know that they had Derrick Rose. I know they had Joakim Noah. I know that was a nice little run, but ever since that Derrick Rose injury... And that, that era of the Bulls didn't even get to see its peak, never got to see its prime. The Bulls need something. I don't know what it is because they had Jimmy Butler. They gave him away. They traded away Derrick Rose. I don't, I don't know what it is that they need, but you'd think that they would want to land a superstar in free agency. Chicago, it's the place to be in the NBA. If you're not talking about in LA, if you're not talking about a Miami, Chicago is a fantastic place for an NBA player to be, to thrive. So is New York, but who who knows what Chicago is going to be able to do. Maybe, maybe they will be able to pick up Anthony Davis at some point, who has expressed the fact that he'd like to play in Chicago in his hometown. But I don't know, as for right now, they are stuck with Jim Boylan, who apparently has things to work on as a person, as a coach. So, Maybe he'll have time to do that during this time that all the other, well, 22 of the teams are in the bubble. Who knows? So I wanted to talk about uh, <laughs> Bleacher Report, who, you know, it's an interesting website. I think that in a lot of ways they have a, a lot of good content, but sometimes they put out these articles that uh, they get a lot of people's attention pretty much just because they're kind of stupid, to be honest with you. So Bleacher Report released an article called Ranking Every NBA Starting Five Headed to Orlando. That was released today by the author from Bleacher Report, the writer Greg Swartz. Um, essentially, uh, the the logic he used was of determining the, the uh, prowess of a lineup was by comparing their net ratings, um, so how many points per 100 possessions, uh, a team scores minus how many it allows. Um, using that lineup, he specifically stated that uh, only five-man lineups that have spent 50 minutes or more together are considered for the list, which is still a, you know, a ridiculously small amount of time to have actually played together. But th- these, are, these are some of them. So coming in at number 20, uh, 22 is the Wizards, which I think makes total sense. We don't need to get into that. Brooklyn Nets, totally makes sense. Kyrie uh, and Kevin Durant aren't playing. Then the Magic, you know, decent starting five, makes sense. Maybe we'll see more from Markel Fultz. Evan Fournier is great. Aaron Gordon, talented player. And Vucevic, really great center in the NBA. The Spurs, they've got good young talent. Uh, DeJounte Murray, they've got DeMar DeRozan, uh, Rudy Gay. Um, That's kind of it. Then, interestingly enough, they have... OKC at number 18. Um, So they are essentially saying that the starting lineup of Chris Paul, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Gallinari, and Steven Adams, and then, you know, throw a small forward in there, aren't as good as the Grizzlies, the Suns. Uh, They're not as good as the Kings. Uh, according to Bleacher Report, 
they're not as good as the Jazz, which I think you can definitely argue. Uh, they're not as good as the Pelicans. A, a long, long list. I think that's pretty disrespectful to Chris Paul. I mean, I don't think OKC are necessarily as good as their record suggests they are this year. They've been a phenomenal team in the clutch, um, you know, primarily due to Chris Paul's ability in those last few minutes of a game when it's close. But, like, they're a really good team, and it's just, it, this shows the limitations of judging teams purely based off of, like, a net rating. It's not, it's not the perfect way to go about judging teams. But then after OKC, they have the Pacers, which, sure, I can see, you know, you know, maybe uh, Oladipo won't be playing. If he is playing, that makes a huge difference to them. Then the Grizzlies, I think that seems about right, fitting them in there. Then the Suns. Suns and Grizzlies, I think you can flip around. Devin Book is obviously an unbelievable player. DeAndre Ayton is great too. But, you know, with the way that Ja was playing, uh, J- uh, Jaron Jackson Jr., jo- Jonas Valanciunas, I think those are kind of debatable. Trailblazers, sure, that sounds about right. Kings seems a little high. They've got great young talent, but really are they, I don't know if they're the 13th best. Then Philly, which seems really low when you have Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, and Tobias Harris on the floor. Shake Milton had some really great time for them this year. Um, I understand that, you know, this is a difficult one because obviously Al Horford was in their starting lineup for the majority of the time this year, but... I still think the Sixers are better than that, even without Horford coming off the bench. That's still a great starting lineup. Then here's where we get into some just blasphemous territory. Um, so coming in at number 11, they have the Los Angeles Lakers. And I get it. I get it because, you know, Avery Bradley's out. I get that they don't have the best rotation players fit around LeBron. But... Here's what they have listed. They have LeBron at point guard, Contavious Caldwell Pelp, uh, Contavious Caldwell Pope at shooting guard, Danny Green at small forward, Anthony Davis at power forward, and then JaVale McGee at center. Um, I don't know why they wouldn't put Kyle Kuzma in the starting line. I mean, I guess that's kind of tall. Maybe they don't want Kyle Kuzma in the starting line. Maybe that's too big for what they want to they go for. But you can't tell me that a lineup that has LeBron and Anthony Davis in it is the 11th best starting lineup in the league. When you even look at starting lineups collectively, like, I'm sorry, but that's better than the Utah Jazz. And they have, you know, Mike Conley, who was awful this year. They have Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, who are, like, their main two that make that starting five good. And I understand technically, if you want to speak purely statistically about this, then I guess technically that's a better starting five in terms of net rating. But you can't tell me that LeBron and the Lakers with AD are the 11th best starting lineup in the league. That's just ridiculous. Then you have the Nuggets. I think that's also too high. Uh, like, number 10, that's not... A, I don't think that's a good place for the Nuggets, given that, you know, they're the third best team in the West. Jokic is great. He looks, from what I've seen uh, from clips from practices with that weight loss, he looks like he's moving super well. Um... We don't really know anything about Michael Porter Jr. yet, I think, as far as the Nuggets go. But um, Bol Bol apparently is rounding into form. Apparently he's going to be playing minutes for them. Jamal Murray has the capability of being great. Then the Jazz, I think they're a little high at 9. I don't know if I agree. The Rockets, I think that really they have the potential to just come out absolutely swinging in this playoffs now that it's been confirmed that Westbrook is healthy and that he will be playing with the team. 
I don't think they really have many limitations other than the fact that teams might figure out what they're doing in this ultra small ball lineup. Then the Mavs, which I think is generous given that, you know, you have Porzingis and Luka. Uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. has been really great for them this year, but he's not your ideal third best player on a team. He's probably, if Tim Hardaway Jr. is your fourth or best, uh, fourth or fifth best player on a team, then I think you're probably doing really well. But as your third highest scorer, I don't know if that's what he needs to be. Seth Curry, Dorian Finney-Smith, you know, great role-playing guys. I mean, guys good enough to be in a starting lineup. I just don't know if they're in the seventh best starting lineup in the league. Then the Raptors. I actually don't have any issue with this. Raptors have been phenomenal all year. They have such great chemistry. They fit together so well under Nick Nurse's system. Sure. Celtics, debatable because they're coming in at number five here, but debatable because Kemba Walker's knee has been acting up for months now. He's had months off, and apparently his knee is still bothering him. According to Brad Stevens, as of today, Kemba will not be playing in the team's scrimmage on Friday. They're hoping that he's going to be ready to play come playoff time, but he's had four months off, so I don't know why he's suddenly going to be better in a couple of weeks. But in theory, sure, I can understand why they're the fifth best. Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Gordon Hayward. That makes sense to me. Miami Heat, number four. That's ridiculous. I understand statistically they might be good. They've got great three-point shooting around Jimmy Butler. Bam Adebayo has been fantastic this year. Definitely a most improved player candidate. If not, he might win it. I think he definitely deserves to. But, you know, when your lineup, starting lineup has got Kendrick Nunn and Duncan Robinson, trust me, I love Duncan Robinson, former Michigan athlete. He's great. But this is not the fourth best starting lineup in the league. The Bucks third, understandable. Clippers, second, sure, absolutely understandable. Definitely see that. But Bleacher Report has the New Orleans Pelicans coming in as the number one starting lineup in the entire NBA for the bubble. This surprised me to the point that when I was reading this, I had to scroll back up to the beginning of the article because I thought they were just talking about lineups that might have been most exciting to watch rather than actually the best lineup. This lineup of Lonzo, Drew Holiday, Brandon Ingram, Zion, and Derek Favors has a net rating of 26.3 in 230 minutes, which is absolutely ridiculous. But even if the statistics here back that up, this is not the best starting lineup in the NBA. Maybe a form of this starting lineup could be the best team in the best starting lineup in the NBA in three years' time, but they're not right now. It just seems ridiculous. Zion only played 19 games. We don't even know what it's going to be like for him in the bubble, given that he had to leave, and we don't know when he's going to be coming back or if he's going to be coming back, depending on what's happening with his family. But, like, my God, how could you possibly. I, th- this is the issue that happens when you start off an article by saying that you're essentially judging this purely based off of net rating. It's really just a full statistical argument. It doesn't really take into account the eye test because this Pelicans team isn't going to beat the Lakers. They're not. They're not going to beat the Clippers. They're not going to beat—I don't even think they'd beat like the Jazz. I don't think they'd beat the Mavericks. So I think I I just thought this was so funny that I had to bring it up on today's episode. But do let me know. Let me know who you think the best starting five uh, lineup is right now going into the bubble. Uh, I would be really interested to find out what you guys have to say about it.
So let's talk a little bit about the NBA draft lottery, because that's coming up now as well. Not too far. The lottery will be moved from August 25th to August 20th, with the NBA draft remaining itself on October 16th. So this is, you know, interesting, gives players, uh, gives us something more to look forward to. I'm excited to see the draft lottery, excited to see who ends up winning that number one pick. Uh, as of right now, the Warriors, Timberwolves, and Cavs each have an equal 14% chance of taking the number one pick. And who's that going to be? It's what makes this kind of an interesting draft. It's not, you know, a particularly talent-filled draft by any means, but definitely interesting players coming in. You've got James Wiseman, LaMelo Ball, uh, Cole Anthony, Obi Toppin. There's a ton of different players who are really interesting, and it's going to be... Just for the number one pick, it's going to be, for lack of a better word again, interesting to see who actually comes up because it's completely dependent on what these teams need. For the Warriors, almost definitely a big man. You know, you've still got your guards in place. You just picked up Jordan Poole as your uh, later first-round pick from last year. Um, Another sort of guard, potential wing position player. And you lost KD, so you lost a great amount of height. Kevon Looney is not everything that you want him to be. He traded away Willie Cauley-Stein. So definitely lacking in that in that big man position. So I want to back up Draymond Green if you're going to be playing him at the five. Uh, the Cavs probably in a somewhat similar position. They God knows they don't need another guard at the Cavs. The Cavs are absolutely filled at the guard position. And then the Timberwolves too. That would be an, it's an interesting position for them because obviously they picked up D'Angelo Russell so that's really they don't want a primary ball handler you've got D'Angelo who wants the ball in his hand a lot Carl Anthony Towns likes to have the ball so I don't know exactly who they'd want to pick up but that would definitely be a challenge for them to sort of find out which which one of these prospects is going to fit them best because really this draft is going to be a real luck of the draw I think we could definitely be seeing a draft where Maybe the best players of this draft, if they're not in the first three picks, end up coming late lottery picks or even later in the first round. Because I think with this group, it's really kind of a who knows. And not to think too far into the future, but I think that for the for the next draft that we have, the 2021 draft, it's going to be even crazier because we're more than likely not going to have a college basketball season or we're not going to have one in the way that we're used to having one anyway. Um, so I think that it's going to be in, like, I have no idea how teams are going to be able to judge players. If, you know, the, the whole point of supposedly, you know, the point of going to college is you get experience playing in big games. The NBA gets free training for players where they don't have to be the ones looking after them. They get, you know, free development essentially. And I, I, I don't know, I think I was listening to The Mismatch, the NBA Ringer podcast the other day, and they talked about how is it sort of overrated in today's NBA what it, what it means to have big college games under your belt. Because more and more players now we're seeing are taking this strange new G League route. You had Isaiah Todd go that way, um, a couple of other really high-profile names. Um going to the G League instead of deciding to play at college. And ultimately, I really actually don't think that it matters to them at all. I think that 
if you're going to be a phenomenal talent in the NBA, I don't think necessarily playing in a Duke Carolina game is going to be the thing that you know, really differentiates you from the next guy if you really are this supreme talent. I think that it definitely puts you in a position to get more confident, more so potentially than a G League game would. But I think the most important thing for for young stars um, coming into the NBA is just that they're playing against people who are better than them. That's why you see players like Lamelo Ball going to Australia. You see people taking the European route, and it's why it was ridiculous when people were talking about how Luka Doncic wasn't gonna wasn't gonna make it to the NBA and that his game wasn't gonna translate. I think that there's because we obviously are in America and the NBA is an American league and college basketball is so ingrained into the NBA family tree, so to speak, that it feeds directly into it. The NBA, you know, relies heavily on people coming in from college, but there's a real stigma against people choosing other routes, and you know, partially that's because people are huge fans of NCAA basketball. Partially because the NTA makes huge amounts of money off these players and definitely doesn't want to see them leave. And also just because it's traditional. It's what the NBA is used to. It's what, you know, scouts are used to watching college games and they're not used to having to, you know, fly out to Europe to watch a, watch a prospect play, fly out to Australia. But, I mean, clearly it's working. The league is expanding. More and more international players are coming in every year. Luca is in his second year in the league, and he's already a top five player. I, I think you could argue that he's there's no doubt that he's a top ten player in the NBA, and he's in his second league. And people, high profile people in the media, were doubting him when it was coming up to his draft. People telling him, or you know, it being said, this kid's never going to make it. Like, this isn't going to translate. He's too big. He's not going to be able to score in the NBA. And look at what's happened. So I I think that we're going to see more and more people go to the G League. I think that potentially the pandemic is actually going to really affect the draft next year. So who who even knows what's going to happen? But at least for this year, it's been reported by Jonathan uh, Givoni. Givoni. I don't know. One of the two from ESPN. Um, that the NBA does want to bring prospects to Orlando for measurements, for interviews, for medical tests. So the teams at least have something to go off on because usually, you know, in the NBA offseason, this is the time leading up to the draft where you'd have team workouts, the combine, you'd have um, interviews with players, you'd have all of these different opportunities to get to know a guy, to be able to see how he fits into your structure get him some, you know, get him some reps in, see what he's like playing against other guys coming in at that level. Summer League, obviously, is a great opportunity to see how players are going to stack up against each other, see how that development's going. And, you know, because of the pandemic, teams don't have that opportunity this year. So to, to make up for that, maybe something can go into place in Orlando, especially because now with zero te- like zero positive tests coming back, I think that you'd obviously have to take the necessary precautions. You'd probably have to fly all these kids in. It's probably going to be less people than would be at the, the Combine normally. Maybe it'll just be people who are projected to go in the lottery, just first-round guys. I don't know. But I'd imagine that they're going to be brought in. They'll be quarantined for the same amount of time. They'll have to, as the NBA players were, they're going to have to test uh, negative several times in a row. 
And then I don't see why teams sort of wouldn't be able to do what they wanted with players in terms of working them out, taking their measurements, doing their interviews, medical tests. Um, I think that this is a great opportunity. I think it's a great idea. I think that as long as people in the NBA continue to follow all the guidelines that are in place in the bubble, I don't see any reason why this couldn't happen. I, I, I was saying this yesterday as well. I, my, my mind is kind of blown at how well everything is going and... I definitely didn't think that there'd be any opportunity to have any kind of draft combine in Orlando. I thought that, you know, they'd have to be keeping this so locked down that there's absolutely no way they'd even risk it. But with, you know, the second weekend, essentially, to the bubble, you're already reporting zero tests. If they can maintain that or consistently keep the number at one or two per week then I think that'd be fine. I think you can definitely bring these players in. You'd have to have, you know, it's whether these a lot of these players would feel comfortable flying to Orlando right now. But Because, you know, some guys in the lottery, maybe they're going to say, well, hey, I, I'm confident that I'm a lottery pick already. I don't feel like I need to endanger my life, endanger my body, because, you know, who knows what these guys have going on. Maybe they get COVID. Maybe it really heavily impacts their lung capacity it gives them some kind of heart problem you know if you're Lamelo ball maybe that's not something you want to risk if you're pretty confident that you're going to be a top five pick anyway so i think it'll be interesting to see who wants to go maybe we'll see a couple of sort of later lottery guys other first round guys would want to go certainly certainly new certainly something that i didn't think was going to be happening but something that i'm excited to see excited to learn about I hope you are too. That just about does it. Everything I have to talk about uh, for Don't Burst My Bubble today. Thank you so much for listening. I really, really appreciate it. I hope that you found this episode informative. I will still be bringing you daily news, updates, and commentary from inside the NBA bubble in Orlando every single day. All the information you want, all of it you need, you can follow me on Instagram at uh, at don't burst my NBA bubble. Uh, also, uh, the link to the podcast Twitter will also be in the description. Uh, I post daily on both of those with updates um, similar to what's going on on the podcast, but in a shorter graphic form. Having fun editing a couple of little videos together of some awesome dunks with um, Disney music in the background and a little countdown to the NBA starting. Tomorrow, there will be actual scrimmages, actual NBA basketball will be played tomorrow, which is definitely nothing. I don't think that it's something that none of us saw coming when the season shut down in March. So that's incredible. And I'm sure I'll talk about it tomorrow. We'll have a bunch more news, a bunch more fun things to talk about. So thank you so much for listening. This has been Don't Don't Bust My Bubble. I'm Josh Ascroft, and I will speak to you tomorrow.